What's up, guys? Welcome back to another episode of the Rice Kill Eat podcast. Thank you for listening today. And I got to tell you, I got a, I got a good one planned out for you today. So today, my guest is Jeremiah Dowdy. So Jeremiah is a well-known wild game chef that spends his time cooking for his family at home. And he's using that as a platform to really share his ideas and his thoughts on hunting and how we should treat animals and how we should view them as a resource for food. And as I had a really interesting conversation with him in today's episode, I'm really glad I get to share that with you guys because we get into all kinds of really cool, awesome stuff. So we, I mean, we touch on topics from anywhere from hunting in California because California has some, I guess, more unique things that are going on around uh, the whole idea of hunting in California. And we get into society's basic disconnect from their food. Uh, we get into all kinds of topics. And one of my favorite parts of this conversation was whenever we, he mentions cooking some uh, wild game meats that aren't necessarily typically thought of. So I'm really excited for you guys to hear that and really excited to hear your thoughts on that. And I'm looking forward to being able to share that with you today. But before we get into that, I want to make sure you guys knew a couple things. So right now, if you go to rkefield.com, you'll see that we're having our freedom sale. So our freedom sale is an annual sale that we have in order to celebrate Independence Day. So we usually have it in the end of June, running through the beginning of July. And it's a celebration of this great nation that we live in. So if you go on there and you check it out, it's the freedom sale at rkefield.com. You'll see that all of our items, all of our products are priced either at $17.76 or less. So $17.76 or less. And it's just, again, our way of just kind of celebrating this great country that we live in. Also, if you haven't checked out Digital Campfire, Digital Campfire is a great resource for both new hunters and seasoned hunters. And it's something that is ran by Colin Cottrell. I had Colin on last week. And if you haven't listened to that, go back, check that out, listen to that one. He gives a great description on what the digital campfire is. If you are interested in the digital campfire through Activate the Hunt, then you can check that out and request more information at jointhecampfire.com. And when you go to sign up, use promo code RKE. So we've partnered with Colin and his Activate the Hunt movement. And it's something that we can really get behind because he's doing this in a way to share information and to kind of cut down that learning curve that so many people may may not be able to overcome whenever they are wanting to get into hunting. So we see a lot of late onset hunters that are getting into hunting much later on in their life. And Colin has put together this digital campfire as a way to kind of help these new hunters get into hunting and give them the resources that they need. So if you are interested in digital campfire, again, you can go to jointhecampfire.com and use promo code RKE, so that's RKE as in Rice Kill Eat, and check that out. All right, and if you haven't subscribed to the Rice Kill Eat podcast, go ahead and do that, because I have some really awesome episodes, including today's, planned out for the month of July, and I'm really looking forward to being able to share those with you guys, so I don't want to make sure that you guys don't miss out on anything that is Rice Kill Eat podcast. All right, so go ahead and subscribe today. Leave us a rating. The ratings, again, you've you've heard me say it just about every episode, I'm sure. But ratings are how podcasts are able to get out there and they're able to build that momentum and 
leave us a rating and it really, really helps us out and leave us a review. If you want to, we've had some really nice reviews on there and those are, those are very much appreciated. Those do not go unseen. I read all those and it, it really allows me to see where this podcast is going, where the show is going. It really allows me to hear your all's voice. So go ahead leave me a rating, leave me a review and it would be very much appreciated. Thank you guys again for listening. And I really think you guys are going to enjoy Jeremiah's talk today. Again, he is a well-known chef that has taken his message, literally internationally, he's taken his message to other places. He's been online. He's been featured just about everywhere that you could see wild game chefs being featured. And Jeremiah is a really, really cool guy. And he really shares the meat and potatoes on all things wild game cooking. So if you are into cooking or if you are wanting to get to get into cooking or if you just like listening to good conversations around hunting then you picked a good episode to start on so without further ado i'm going to go ahead and let you guys get right into it and this is my conversation with jeremiah dowdy from field the plate all right i'm glad you're able to take some time to do this i appreciate it man i didn't realize you're in southern california so from- yeah, I, i'm in hunting capital of the world Oh yeah, <laughs> definitely. Uh, yeah, no, my daughter's had swim lessons and art class, much other stuff, and I was like, oh, I'll be home. It, literally eleven miles from her swim, her swim team. Yeah, it took me forty-five minutes. <laughs> Golly, that's that's crazy, man. I, I live in a little small town here in Kentucky, and uh, the only traffic jams that we see are whenever we get behind the tractor. So, yeah, you know, whenever, whenever somebody's out harvesting crops or whatever that's that's about the only time we see some traffic maybe some construction every now and then but that's that's really about it man i would die for that if my wife wasn't a southern california girl <laughs> is that what right but, here, moved to idaho montana she's like well they have winter yeah <laughs> you don't really get that a whole lot in, South, in southern uh, california do you it's like 60 and that's when all the chicks bust out their uggs and sweaters and yeah <laughs> That's that's winter down there, isn't it? That is winter. And if it gets like below fifty, it's like stay inside, don't go driving, call you know, order pizza. <laughs> that's crazy. That's that's ideal weather around here. I mean, that's that's good hunt weather. That's when that when it starts getting cold like that. Yeah, that's when that's when you it's know, time to get out in the tree stand. You can always tell when the uh, tourists show up because it's sixty five and they're in sandals and shorts, and the locals are all in UGG boots and sweaters and sweatshirts and hoodies and beanies. And, you're like, you must be from Utah. Well, that's awesome. I, again, I, I appreciate you taking the time yeah. to. Sorry, but, sorry, it took a while to get on, but no, nah, no, nah, it's all good. It's it is what it is, and you got a lot going on. And I think I read somewhere that are you are you a stay at home dad? Is that right? Yeah, stay at home dad and do this full time. So uh, during the summer, I tell all companies sorry, and but yeah, no, I'm I quit my day job and I stay at home and take care of the kids because my wife absolutely loves loves her career mm-hmm. and so if i can pursue my career and she can pursue hers then but yeah no, i do 99 percent of fatherly duties that's awesome I, i'm kind of a little bit jealous of you there because you know kids that they're they're a hassle i mean they're they are what they are but at the same time i i love being with them i've got two of them myself i've got a five-year-old little boy and then i've got a three-year-old little girl and just being at home with them being able to spend that time with them is it's pretty awesome being able to being able to do that. So that's, that's great that you're able to do that full time. Yeah. I mean, I worked in the restaurant business beforehand 
And so I didn't have any weekends, any holidays, you know, management style stuff. So you'd go in at noon and you wouldn't get home until one or two o'clock in the morning to go from that to you take them to school every single morning, except for when I'm traveling on trips or hunting or something like that and picking them up for school and having dinner on the table and the wife gets home. Like, I don't know, just a, a nice role reversal. And a lot of women make fun of us because or fun of my wife and guys. And I'm like, dude, it works for us. And my wife makes more money than you do in your job. So shut up. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that, that role reversal is something that, uh, you know, you don't really see a whole lot of, but it's something that, you know, I can kind of, I can definitely respect. That's, I mean, that's, that's awesome that you guys are able to do that and you're able to do it without, you know, worrying about what other people are saying to, you know, but at least letting it affect you and that kind of thing. I think it's really awesome that you're able to, you know, provide the meals and cook at home and, and she comes home and, you know, good to go from there. That's awesome. So you're in Southern California right now. And, you know, whenever I think of Southern California, I don't quite think of hunting. So what in the world has gotten you into hunting? How did you, who introduced you and when was that? And how did you get in, into hunting? Yeah. I mean, hunting, California's got a rich hunting heritage. A lot of it's Northern California. Uh, cause Northern California is, it's, it's a different state altogether. Like I can tell people, um, but Southern California, we've got, we actually have one of the best, uh, waterfowl hunting in the entire nation. We're in the Pacific, we're on the end of the Pacific flyway, we're right on the border of Mexico. And so all those wintering ducks actually land in our area. They don't really make it all the way out of Mexico. And so bird hunting is always, is a huge Southern California thing. So born and raised, I was a raised a bird hunter. If it flies, it dies mentality since I was eight years old, where I remember going down the river and hunting dove in 116 degree weather. And that's all we hunted. <clears throat> but that was, that was our hunting. And if you ask hunters in Southern California, you hunter, they'll say, yeah, I'm a bird hunter. And so that is where I got started. That's how I got introduced was just going out there with my dad's friends and my uncles and my dad and my sisters going out chasing dove in, in the desert. And from there it progressed into more birds because dove season only lasts for two weeks and I have the itch. And so I, I taught myself how to quail hunt, how to chucker hunt, how to pheasant hunt. Uh, when I turned 18 and I taught myself how to duck hunt and um, really got into that addiction because that's, that's what it is. Everyone always says they want to get into duck hunting. I said, make sure you've got a lot of money. <laughs> uh, and then taught myself how to turkey hunt. Became a really avid turkey hunter. Got my dad involved in all that, so my dad and I just became bird hunters. And then ten years ago, eleven years ago, now is when I got into big game. I didn't even start big game until I was in my late twenties. Oh yeah, so you were kind of a late bloomer as far as as far as the big game stuff goes. Oh yeah, just because California it's so hard. I mean, you've yeah. got Southern California. They they sell a tag down here. It's they sell 6,000 tags, and I think they have a 2% harvest rate. Dang. So guys, guys call themselves deer hunters, and they've never, ever seen a legal buck. Um, but guys still put in for tags. Guys still go out. Guys still hunt. Guys still pursue. And so it's it's very difficult. And when you do get one of those hunters that's successful, a lot of it's on private land. The public land here is really hard. Like opening day of deer season down at the local Cleveland National Mountains above um, – San Diego, you'll drive down one road, you'll count 100 trucks, 200 trucks, Dang all, going, all going in the same 30,000 acre BLM. So there's no way that all those guys are going to shoot deer. I mean, they're going to push deer out so no one shoots deer. So it was never really 
I did it once or twice. I was like, this is stupid. This is pointless. Um, but being allergic to beef, it really thrusted me into understanding how to big game hunt and how to do it effectively. Did they ever get yeah. to a point where, you know, they would only allow so many people to go in and hunt at a time, like almost like an application process, just so, lot, you know, some people would it, have some success. Draw, and a lot of it is draw, but they'll still give out 1500 draw tags. And so I, I love my state to death, but I think it's ran by idiots. <laughs> and I can say that honestly, like California, California is one of the most gorgeous, diverse, beautiful states for wildlife and pristine rivers and lakes and mountains and I'm at beaches. It's gorgeous. I mean, nowhere can I, can you go from the beach to the mountains to the desert all in a day and surf motorcycle ride and snowboard? You just, you, you can't do that. And, but the problem is, is that our conservation aspects, they look at it from a standpoint of like, they cut out all doe hunting, except for there's like three or four tags where you can hunt does um, with archery only. So we've got an infestation of does around and young bucks. And then they made it so you have to shoot, it has to fork on each on each time. So our antlers have to fork on our mule deers or our blacktail. And then it becomes a legal deer. Well, most of our deer are forking at a year and year and a half years old. Yeah. And so these everyone's going out there shooting year and a half year old bucks, not allowing bucks to breed with more does. So you get does that are older who aren't breeding and not dropping fawns. Well, if they're not dropping fawns, there's no more bucks to be had. And if there are, then there's a lot of inbreeding because he might be breeding with his sister or his mom because there's no other males in the area that are legally taken. So you might emit up in the Sierras and the higher mountains, you're getting big, beautiful mule deer because it's a lot more land to cover. But down in Southern California, it's our forests aren't really forests. They're more of like a burrow forest, a desert meets forest type aspect. And so there's really not much cover. You might randomly get that big. That big giant, that big giant buck, that that big giant buck that comes in, but for the most part, it's going to be small little forkies. And our conservation act just doesn't, they don't get it. Like even in like Alabama, they have that fork law, but they have to be so many inches on each time right. to shoot. So a fork is great, but it has to be at least like a two or three year old fork because that's how the antler is going to grow. And if you do get one of those. Super, you know, super jakes in a sense, like you would in turkeys. It's 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 hard. It's very very hard, and our state just keeps giving out more and more tags, and more and more guys buy them. But we're really going to be in for a rough hit here with the whole ammo law and stuff that's changing here July first. So, yeah, I think a lot of guys aren't going to be hunting too much in California just based on you're not going to be able to get ammo for it. Right. What's going on with that? That's actually not something I'm I'm necessarily familiar with. What's going on with the ammo law? Uh, so since we really can't push any more gun laws, they're going after ammunition. Okay. Going after, um, so starting July 1st, we're going to have to have a background check for all ammo purchased. Uh, we'll no longer be able to buy and bring ammo in from out of state. No out of state, no non-Californian can buy ammo in the state of California. All of our ammo has to be lead free. So steel, copper, tungsten. Um, so of course that makes prices go way up where you could buy for dove hunting. You can go buy a box of federal for four bucks. Yeah. Now the cheapest box of steel is $18. You, you can't, those guys that usually only dove hunt, they're not going to dove hunt anymore. I've talked to a lot of guys like, I just can't afford it. I go through five or six boxes dove hunting a season 
Like I can't go spend another 300 bucks on ammo just to go hunt dove. And so I think it's going to really hurt, hurt that aspect of it just for the fact that we, we can't bring in or we can't buy, we can't ship in anymore. I can't buy it from, you know, cheapammo.com and have it shipped to my house anymore. Um, I have to get shipped to an FFL and the FFL, then I didn't, then I then have to pay a fee at the FFL for them to accept my ammo. And then it's a dollar per background check. If you don't have a gun registered under your name, it's a $19 background check. So I can't have my wife go in and buy me ammo anymore when I'm out of town. Like, Hey, there's a sale because it'll cost her $19 for a background check on top of ammo sales on top of everything else. There's a minimum of how many you can buy. So like you can go in and buy four boxes, but you can't buy any more than that. And since it's all going to be in a database, you can't go from store to store to store. You just, you're in a database now you were ran for four boxes. So it's, it's going to be really tough and it's going to be really hard because you come hunt out of state, you can't bring in your own ammo, but you can't buy your own ammo. So an outfitter has to buy your ammo, but then an outfitter is going to charge you more because they're going to be charged and they can't buy ammo because it's going to be under their name with a background check. And so I think it's really going to hurt, hurt in the long run. They're going to see it. But man, again, like I said, I love my state, but it's ran by people that just don't get it. Man, that sounds like a mess. And it's going to be a mess in the future too. I mean, that's, that's a lot of money that people are going to have to dish out just for the sake of, like you said, just dove hunting. Something that's normally going to cost somebody. I know like around here, you can get a, for a resident tag for in Kentucky, for a resident tag for a um, migratory bird and hunting license. You can get everything for around like 30 bucks. I mean, that, that's a combo fishing and hunting uh, permit. And then, you know, you go, like you said, go to the store and spend five bucks on, you know, seven and a half shot dove shot. And then, I mean, you're, you know, 35 bucks, 40 bucks into it and you're, you're out hunting. I mean, that's the cost of two boxes of shells there in California. Just alone for our hunting license without adding anything onto it, just to be able to hunt predators and non-game species and not even all predators, just coyotes. Um, is I think it was forty-seven bucks this year. Nine bucks added on, you can hunt your upland game birds and your wild turkey. But you know, then you got to everything is like a all a cart. So you want to hunt bobcat? It's so much money per pig. It's so much money per deer. It's so much money. You know, we can only get two deer tags. So it's like you look at all these things. You get a first and second deer tag, and so some of these other states where you can go out there and you guys can fill your freezer. Yeah. I shoot a bunch. I know, like, I have a lot of friends in Tennessee and Kentucky and all this stuff. You know, you can go out and shoot as many does as you want. Yep. You know, you guys get, like, nine to ten does a season or something. Like yeah, that. they just increased it just, uh, just just this past season. They increased the count. Right. And so you guys can go fill freezers where, for us, it's going to cost us 400 bucks just to go shoot two deer. And so guys aren't even hunting our state anymore. They're going, like, for me, I take guys to Wyoming all the time. Yeah. I mean, it's forty. It's forty-eight bucks to go hunt a doe, antelope, or, or doe deer in Wyoming. So we can go there and shoot two two does of each species and come home with two, you know, a full cooler full of meat, and it costs us the same amount to try to go pursue one deer in California. But again, you look at that, and people look at that, and they sit there saying, "Well, you're not supporting your state." It's not that I'm not supporting my state. It's that I can't afford to hunt in my state, and. Our state doesn't open up stuff. It's a lot of private property. And so BLM is all landlocked and no a bunch of hippies won't let you cross their boundary line to get to BLM because they think you're going to destroy their pets. They view all the critters as their pets. Yeah. 
throw as hard as I mean, I, I've put in for elk in the state of California for the past 15 years and haven't gotten drawn. I can go put in from in Montana right now and go shoot an elk over counter, yeah. Colorado over counter. And it's going to be the same exact price to hunt in my state. So it's as much as I would love to shoot a Thule elk in the state of California, it probably will never happen because I'm buying on the same reference points as 10,000 other guys. Yeah, that's that's interesting. That's I didn't realize it was uh, that big of a mess out there. Man, that's that's insane. That's why, that's why we hunt birds. Yeah, that's a good idea. Sounds like sounds like a good I idea. I go out puddle shoot ducks all day long. Yeah. No one says a word. I, I can go call a farmer right now and go shoot as many pigeons as I want. Yeah. Off the off the cattle crap because they're being destructive, and so it's I don't know. So it's just just one of those deals, you know. Yeah. Man, that's that's crazy. I think if we uh, came out to Kentucky, you'd see a very much, very different culture as far as, you know, how, how all the, the, you know, everything's set up as far as, you know, permits and that kind of thing goes. It's like I said, it's, it's a way cheaper to come out here and do that. I've had tons of states where I'm sitting there going, man, they're like, you just got to get out of your state. I'm like, yeah, but if we all yeah. leave our state, it doesn't fix our state. Right. Yep. That's a good point. That's a good point. It doesn't fix the problem. And it, there's so many guys that just, they're like, ah, whatever, and they bail. And then, and then when I'm sitting there trying to fight for our rights and fight for everything else, nobody is, you know, there, there's nobody here to help me. Right. Yeah, that's a good it's point. Hard. It's hard because these guys, they just don't get it. They're like, well, yeah, but you don't understand. I go, no, I do understand because I stuck around. And you guys moved to Montana. And as much as I would love to get out, it's just, it's hard just for that fact of, you know, I don't want to be that guy that just leaves. So how does somebody, uh, you know, fight that then? Is it just in the way you, that you vote or yeah, is there more to it? There's no way that our voting will ever count. Yeah. Um, it's just like the presidency. Like if you're a Republican in the state of California, you might as well just, you know, throw your uh, ballot in the trash. <laughs> I mean, I know that sounds bad, but. No, that's a just, good point. Yeah. It just it doesn't count. Like it doesn't, no matter what you do, it's not going to count. And so you look at that aspect of it and you look at people we're surrounding ourselves with. I think our biggest thing is just getting people aware that it's what I'm doing. It's not about the head on the wall. It's about the food in the freezer. I've, I've worn over a lot of vegans and a lot of vegetarians by a good meal uh, versus the debate of, well, I want to hunt this. And I, I have the right. We all have the, the gun right. I'm sick of hearing about it, though. Mm-hmm. Uh, no one wants to hear about your right. Um, what they want to hear about is the results. And so, yes, we have the right to bear arms, but a lot of these people that have the right to bear arms aren't, aren't respecting that right. I mean, we all have the right, you know, the privilege, the right to get a driver's license, but people still drive drunk. And, so, you know, it's, when, it's talk, when people start talking about the ammo laws, they're like, well, yeah, but if we cut down on animals, we'll cut down on, on gun shootings. And I was like, no, because the problem is, is the criminals don't follow the rules. Yeah, that's guy, why they're criminals. Follow, right. They'll drive to Vegas. They'll go to Bass Pro right across the state line. They'll get as much ammo as they want. They'll cross it. They don't care if they get pulled over. Yeah. That's not – so what you're doing is you're taking it away from the citizens that are trying to be respectful and trying to follow the rules. And we're trying to get this R3 program, this you know mentorship with onset adults really going in all these states on a federal level. And I think that'll, that'll help by really focusing on, on adults. I think that's where it is. Everyone focuses on kids and veterans as good as that is. But in the long run, if you don't have an adult that supports that kid, 
that kid's not going to go to Bass Pro and buy a hunting license by themselves. Yeah, that's you know, true. They're not going to drive out. They're not going to drive out to the dove range and shoot dove by themselves. So, if you focus on the parent, the kids are going to follow. I mean, my girls are addicted to hunting in the, in the middle of Southern California. They bring venison, to, you know, lunch meat to school. That's great. We're all we're, we're, half their friends at school have never even seen a deer. Yeah. So, you you affect the parents and the college age kids. It's going to change the culture because right now those, you know. I tell everyone, I don't know how old you are, but I'm 36. Yeah, 27. So I'm a little bit younger. But my generation was the generation that was brought indoors with Nintendo and TV and internet. And so if we can't change my generation and your generation, then my kid's generation is going to be horrible. And so we don't need to change our kids. We need to change that that 40 to 20-year-old range because that's going to change our kids and that's going to change our country. No offense to the old guys. They're... I don't know why we're, we, there's, we, we can't change that. And yeah, the ship has sailed. <laughs> yeah. And so for me, it's like, everyone asks why I cook wild game and why I do what I do. It's like, and why I treat everyone with respect. And it's like, cause if I could change one vegan's mindset, that vegan's going to spread that excitement through the culture. If they went over five and they went over five, they went over five. That's, that's 16 people because I, I came at them with respect instead of come out of cussing and screaming, you know? Yeah, that's something that uh, you see a lot of that kind of thing. And I think it has a, a very negative. It's obviously going to have a very negative outcome because no no minds have ever been changed by people yelling and screaming at each other. But you're getting in there and you're actually showing people, you know, like this is where the meat comes from. This is that animal right there is the one that is on your plate now, and it's right. it's allowing that connection for people that, that typically they don't have that kind of connection. They, they've got this, you know, this general disconnect from their food. So we're so used to being able to go to the grocery store and pick up our food and it's nice, you know, in a, in a bright colored package, it's, everything's all clean, everything's great. And we don't ever have to think, you know, as a whole society doesn't have to think, you know, where did this food come from? And that's something that, that I've really, you know, admired about, what about following you and I've been following you for, I don't know, probably a year or so now and they're on Instagram. And, uh, that's something that you've really, you've really attacked. You've really come straight out and, you know, been very respectful about the way that you have handled hunting and the way that you have handled harvesting meat from an animal and that kind of thing. And that's, that's something I really respect about, about what you're doing with from field to plate. I appreciate it, man. That's, that's my goal since the beginning is just to get people excited about eating. And I mean, I get, I get told so many times, like, why don't I just go to the grocery store and buy meat like everybody else? And it's like, gosh, man, like wake up and realize that that cow still had to die. Yeah. And that cow lived a way worse life than that deer that I shot. Right. You know, talk about being truly wild and truly organic. Like, and there's that there's that big debate right now. Well, what if cows are eating GMO fields and soybeans? It still makes them organic. Yeah. It still makes them wild and free. Just because they ate off of a soybean field doesn't make them, you know, a GMO meat. But the people that are screaming that are the ones that are going to McDonald's and eating burgers. Right. Paying go, ninety cents for a cheeseburger. Right. And I go, you're eating processed crap, you know, or those are the people that are getting that beyond the meat, that new meatless meat that's out right now. That's like, yeah, that's so weird. <laughs> Sorry, go ahead. <laughs> a laboratory. Yeah. 
like, well, yeah, but it's, I'm like, you don't know how much more we're harming the earth by doing that than just shooting a deer. Animals have been consumed since the beginning of time. I mean, you can go back, if you're biblical, you can go back to the beginning of the Bible and look at animals being consumed. If you're not, you can go back to the Neolithic and see animals being consumed. Just like a cave painting, like from thousands and thousands and thousands of years ago. When, why all of a sudden is it like, well, hey, we can't do that anymore. <laughs> Our, Earth's dying. Our, well, the reason Earth's dying is because we're expanding into their territories and then they're getting lower numbers. And so, yeah, there's less deer. It's not because we're hunting them and we're eating them. It's because we're destroying their habitat. But they don't see that. They want more soy fields so they can have tofu. And if they can get tofu, then they're saving the environment versus they don't realize that they just knocked out, you know, 100,000 acres of rainforest so they can have tofu or palm oil or whatever they want. Their mind is all about the meat and killing a, killing a life. And I think that's where they don't get it. You just, took, you just took how many critters' lives by taking deforestation to the next level. And what's yeah, ironic think, about that? Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off there. But. No, no. I, I think hunters are the true hunters. Ethical hunters are some of the most conservation and global, globally sound individuals in the world. We're clear-cutting dead brush to make the forest thrive so that turkeys have a better habitat in California. So we're cutting, we're cutting every fourth tree down to make more light come into the canopy, to make a healthier canopy, make healthier trees, make healthier ground, so that deer, turkey, rabbits, squirrels have more foliage to eat. Right. But we're getting in trouble for taking for cutting down the forest because that's where animals need to live. They don't realize we're not cutting the forest, we're cutting certain trees to make the forest healthier. But all they see is us taking away trees and then we get in trouble. Yeah, there's a certain carrying capacity that land has to have and it's if it overfills that carrying capacity at some point the biology that's living there the living things that are living there are going to reach a point to where they're no longer able to continue to expand and grow and that's certainly true with of course plants and, and uh, animals but it's going to be true with like what you said turkeys and uh, deer they're going to need certain spaces where you know certain browsing foods are going to need to be available so i mean it's there's a point to where we've got to start, you know, cutting, being methodical about what we're cutting out. That way we are able to, you know, like you said, make the, make the land healthier so that life can continue to grow and continue to repopulate. Yeah. They don't see that though. They just see right. us as mindless killers. <laughs> right. You know, what's ironic about the whole, uh, you know, vegans that want to clear out land for, you know, soybeans, that kind of thing, just just hypothetically wanting to clear out land for that, is that when those soybeans are harvested, what is not typically considered is, you know, how many small game animals are going to be caught up, like rabbits, how many rabbits are going to be caught up in, you know, the combines of a tractor, or, you know, how many grasshoppers, or how many bugs, I mean, there's, right, yeah, field mice, there's not really a point where, you know, there's not a clear line at which point, you know, this animal is more more important or a uh, higher priority than this animal is. This one's cuter, so it has a higher value to us than, you know, that this other animal does. So I think it's just ironic that that is a, typically an argument that we're, you know, killing these animals. And we could kill a rabbit with a shotgun, but if, they do, if it's done with a the tractor, then we just kind of oversee it. 
Right. And I mean, that's the whole debate with fish also. Right. Fish right now, people are like all cool with like fish and dead fish and bloody fish pictures because fish don't have feelings. Fish don't, <laughs> fish don't like when they said, well, fish don't blink. And I'm like, seriously, <laughs> like fish don't blink. And so that's your motive that fish are okay to kill and slaughter and but whales, whales are mammals, and so we can't hunt whales. Like when I was in Alaska, we were eating whale with that Eskimo tribe, and I got so much hate for that from hunters also. And I'm like, dude, that is their culture. That is their livelihood. That is their right as Eskimos for thousands of years to hunt those whales. And you should see how much they use every single ounce. I mean, even whale oil, which is disgusting. That's how they... That's how they run their houses. That's how they run their shacks, their cars, their boats. Like they're making gas out of biodiesel from animal waste. And so, but people are like, whales are, you know, whales are considered that you can't eat species. Well, fish, it's like, hey, my, my posts are always flagged. They're always taken down. They're always blocked. You got That's sensitive like content fish. on them, that kind of thing. Yeah, I've, I've seen a few I, of those. <laughs> if I post a picture of a bloody fish, nothing happens. If I post a picture of a bloody steak, and I say it's a cow, nothing happens. I post that same picture and say it's a, a deer, and I get flagged for sensitive content. And so I don't, I just don't, I think they're just so caught up in, you know, that instant gratification, keyboard warrior mentality that they don't realize that we're not, we're not mindless. We're very methodical in what we do. We only take species and animals at a certain number to maintain a healthy population. There's a reason that there's, regulations on sizes and species and you know the amount like even bird hunting you can only take so many male and female ducks like they get it but again we don't know what we're talking about we're all stupid <laughs> we're, all, we're all rednecks with raised trucks and you know, <laughs> shoot stop signs so. <laughs> right. right yeah that's a that's certainly you know a negative perception that a lot of hunters get and it's I think recently, I think things with, uh, you know, like what, with what you're doing and, uh, things like Stephen Rennell with meat eater, I think a lot of these people that are in the arena that have a lot of eyes on them, they've been able to kind of, hopefully they've been able to flip the way people perceive hunters, at least start to flip that, that perception of hunters because of, you know, they're showing, you know, the consumption of food, they're, they're showing the whole process and they're showing, you know, the, the whole preparation and enjoying the entire hunt. And then, you know, of course the whole process of field to play, which is what you're all about. Yeah. And I, and it's cool to see those people and to see where a lot of us have come in the past three years, because, you know, a lot of us are, were being made fun of three years ago for what we were doing yeah. and what, and what we were eating. And now it's become mainstream. Like someone sent me a thing, you know, Five years ago, I started talking about, or longer than that, six years ago, I talked about eating hearts and livers and kidneys and call fat and intestines and all this other stuff and was made fun of by a lot of hunters. And then they posted, you know, hey, look at this. All the people that made fun of you are now posting pictures of hearts and heart recipes. And, and it's a cool it's a cool transition. And I take it as a badge of honor in a sense where because like myself and Ranella and Scott and some of these other guys – who just do what we do and love what we do that we're getting people excited to eat it and to try it. Once they try it, they like it. You know, I was the only one eating bobcat and coyote 
and mountain lion, and now meat eaters all about eating it. And there's all these people, all these other people that are eating all these cats. And I think it's really cool to show that meat is meat. You know, like my family right now down in the crock pot down there, I've got a bear roast that we're gonna have pulled bear tacos. You know, like who who does that? A lot of people yeah. are just like, oh, I can't eat bear meat. That's not something you get at the grocery store, right? And, you know, my kids are all excited. They walk in the house, and they're like, oh, the bear smells so good. Yeah. Like, that's something that most people don't hear from their kids, you know? Yeah, that's awesome. So, I caught in there where you eat coyote. So, tell me, what in the world, like, how would somebody go about preparing coyote? Because we've got, at least in the area that I live in, and really the whole state in general, I think a lot of the United States actually now think about it, but a lot of areas have some issues with coyotes, you know, especially this time of year, taking down fawns and that kind of thing. So, Rather than, you know, throwing them over in the ditch and just leaving them sitting there, is there an actual uh, process, uh, preference that you have for cooking coyote? Yeah, I, I try to stay away from summer coyotes, hot, like hot weather coyotes. Okay. Because all, all they're eating is death, uh, stuff that's died in the winter or spring. And so they're usually pretty rancid smelling and tasting. Um, winter and spring coyotes are the best because they're eating fresh. They're eating grasses, they're eating fresh kills, they're eating, you know, stillbirth, fawns and stuff like that, fresh salmon or fresh fish out of the rivers, they're eating rabbits, they're eating, they're eating really good. Um, one thing that I've found is when you, once you get your coyote killed and skinned, I like to do the whole gutless method just because I'm not big on predator guts. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, take those back legs, take, take the front shoulders, take the back straps off. Um, I like to soak them in a 50-50 ice and salt water mixture. Um, so it's got 50-50 ice and salt, or ice and water, with a quarter cup of salt per gallon of water, and let those soak overnight, drain the water, um, and then let them dry off. And then you, I grind them, make them into chili. Like I make a five-alarm like coyote chili that friends request now. Mm-hmm. Um, I make it into jerky, meatballs. You can do pulled pulled coyote in the crock pot doesn't it doesn't grill well it doesn't smoke well it doesn't bake well so a lot of these guys you've seen eat it like oh i tried grilling it and taste yeah it's gonna be horrible um it's a really tough meat it's really strong flavored meat so by brining it you're gonna pull leach out all that blood and all that funk Uh, and then by slow cooking it or grinding it you're allowing the meat to cook with seasons and spices rather than dry out but yeah i mean i got i have two coyotes in my freezer right now from winter um, that I'm going to be making into, I think coyote summer, like a jalapeno summer sausage here in a couple of days. So anything you can do with grind ground meats, you can do with coyote meat. Again, the summer coyotes, they're just, they're rank. Yeah, stay away from those. Yeah. So, but those, those winter, those cold, cold weather coyotes, and you can eat them all day long. And I've had people that were blown away that have tried it. Some of my methods are like, dude, they're phenomenal. So, Especially when you start shooting those young pups in the spring, mm-hmm. those guys you can grind that you can grind that whole thing up and get like five pounds of meat and just make some sausages out of it. Well, that's interesting. I'm I'm definitely going to have to uh, highlight that one in the in the show notes because that's that's something that is you know I've seen I've seen some people do I've seen you do I've seen some other people do it and I'm just never that's not something I've really adventured into but now I've got kind of got the got the idea over here I'm, that may be something i have to try this this winter and this upcoming I, spring I I car, buddy. here's the deal you're gonna shoot it and leave it anyway so why not shoot it and try back leg yeah 
That makes sense. If you don't like it, then you don't like it. And I I have a rule, and I've said this to, you know, some of the leaders of our industry. I mean, I remember when Will Primos didn't want to try some of my Bobcat. And I was, I literally put my hand out and said, if you don't like it, you can spit it in my hand. You know, (laughs) in the back or thirds. And so that's the biggest thing, man. If you don't like it, great. I'm not going to hold it against you. I understand you're killing it for the fawn control, for everything else. And for these competitions that these hunters have, and they go yeah. shoot 100 up, I get it. Like some states are just overrun. But if you're going to go out and you're out turkey hunting and a coyote walks by and you pop it and you're going to take, you know, and you want to just leave it, that's fine. But at least try it. I mean, it takes nothing to get your knife out and cut off a back ham to at least brine it, throw it in a crock pot and just give it a, give it a go. But like I said, if you don't like it, then shoot them and leave them. I don't care. Yeah. But. Yeah, that's that's a that's a very good point. That's a very good point. And what, whenever you first tried coyote, was that was it something that you know you wanted to try for that purpose, or was it something that you're you know you're just feeling adventurous or, or on a dare, like you said? What what now, really inspired you to try it the first time? Whenever someone says that something's inedible, my job is to prove them wrong. Yeah. And I was hearing all these things that you can't eat coyotes, you can't eat coyotes, you can't eat coyotes, you can't eat coyotes. So I was like, you know what, screw it. We were in the first one I shot. It was winter here in California, as you can say, but it was up in the mountains, so it was snowy. And I shot a coyote, and I skinned it because it had a beautiful coat. And I was like, the meat didn't, didn't smell bad, didn't smell rotten, didn't smell sour, didn't smell like a normal coyote. And meat was really clean, so I was like, you know what, screw it. So I took off the back hams, and the front shoulders didn't have much meat, but I took those, and I took the back straps, and took the hide and the, and the head. And I came home and I just brined it and then I made a chili with it. And we had a bunch of friends over for dinner. I didn't tell them what we were having. And a lot of them are hunters and they know that everything they eat at my house is wild. And they ate and never went back for thirds and seconds. And then I showed them a video of me grinding the coyote meat and making chili. And all of them were like, oh, it was pretty good. Like not one of them was like, oh, you're, you're such a jerk. And it literally just came, like I said, it came out of people saying you can't eat it. And I was like, well, prove it. Like. And then people saying, you know, black bear is horrible. Prove it. People saying that all livers are disgusting. Well, I'll make dishes, you know, that utilize liver rather than just eating liver, like making a boudin, which takes usually takes pig liver, mixes it into a sausage. Well, instead of taking pig liver, take deer liver, take antelope yeah. liver, take elk liver, and utilizing the liver rather than just like a liver and onions, which most people aren't going to like. But how can we utilize that meat to be effective and be tasty? And so that's how it came about. And Bobcat was the same way. We were, we were out hunting Bobcat. And the guy was like, well, this sucks. You can't eat this meat. And I was like, why can't we eat the meat? Well, I heard it's gross. And I was like, uh, have we tried it? He's like, nope. I was like, all right. So I made like barbacoa out of it. And Crock-Pot was completely empty at the end. I was like, well, I guess I'm eating coyotes for the rest of my life. <laughs> and so I mean, we were in Canada. And they were talking about wolf, how no one will eat wolf. And wolf's disgusting and blah, blah, blah. Someone shot a wolf, they brought it back, and I cut it up, and we made we made a wolf. We made it, I made, like, a teriyaki sauce, and we, you know, kind of deep-fried this wolf with teriyaki sauce, and everyone ate wolf. And they're like, oh, well, wolf, wolf was pretty good. And so I think it's – once we get past that stigma of it's inedible, then it becomes edible. And we get past the factor of, like, that, as, as I say, the, the you factor of the American people that food becomes delicious and we look at it as nothing more than food. I think a lot of people, they get, they get intimidated. I, I guess myself included on occasion, they get intimidated by 
you know, certain animals. And just because, like you said, they have some kind of stigma that has, I don't know, evolved or has been passed down over the years. And those animals, they just kind of get thrown in with this, this category in this category. That's it. They're just inedible. I think it's great that you've, you've been able to do that. I mean, how long has it taken you to get to the point that you're at right now to where you, you know, you're willing to get in there and you know how to, you have the skills and the knowledge to be able to take these animals that, you know, have a certain stigma or just animals in general and be able to cook them and make these awesome, delicious dishes that you do. How long has it taken you to do that? I think right when Field of Play started is where I started, where I started doing things because we're out duck hunting and, you know, we have a bunch of diver ducks and coots that no one wants to shoot, no one wants to do anything with um, because they taste like mud. And I'm watching, and I watched all these Asians shoot all these diver ducks. And I felt trapped because because you can shoot 25 coots in California during duck season. And these guys are coming with trash bags, just filling trash bags with coots. And so I walked up and was like, dude, what the heck are you guys making with these mud ducks, man? They taste like dirt. And so he explained like this Asian recipe to me. And so I was like, all right, cool. And I wrote down what I could. I went home and I tried it and it was edible. And I went, okay. So just because we've been taught for so long that something's gross doesn't necessarily make it gross. And just because we don't understand how to cook it doesn't mean that we shouldn't cook it. Because I'm an Irish boy, so I cook. I mean, I grew up eating a lot of plain food. You know, once I got married, I, I married a, my wife was a very adventurous palate, and it really opened up my eyes to different flavors that my family just never ate. Not that we didn't want to, we just didn't do it because of the fact that that's not how my parents were raised. It's not how we were raised. And so, looking at this Asian culture where they used a lot of fish sauces and gingers and all these really strong, powerful flavors. They, in a sense, elevated instead of masking, where a lot of things, a lot of times we try to mask the flavor of these animals, they really elevated it. And then we were down, I was down in Louisiana, and this guy was taking the same coots and he was making andouille sausage out of them to throw them into jambalaya. What better way to eat a fishy duck than in a fishy soup? Yeah. You know, he was making gumbos and jambalayas, and I'm like, man, I never thought about using fishy stuff in a fishy recipe. Instead, we try to cook a diver duck that tastes like dirt like we would a mallard when it's different animals, different flavors, different texture. Same thing, you're not going to cook a mountain lion the same way you would a wild boar. You're not going to cook a black bear the same as you would an elk. There's different techniques that come with that meat. And I think once you're comfortable to ask for help and ask somebody else that knows, I think that's where it really starts to blossom and bloom. So many people are so scared that if they ask for help, that they're stupid. Right. That they don't know what they're talking about. They don't know what they're doing. And for me, it's like if I ask for help, it's because I want to know and I want to grow. You know, my grandpa always said, "If you're not, if you're not, if you're not learning, you're dying. If you're not growing, then you're dead." And I think that really plays into it. We think like, "Well, I know how to cook it, so I'm not going to ask for help, even though I, my wife won't eat it, my kids won't eat it, so I'm just going to keep frying the same backstrap the same way I'm frying it." So yeah, you've seen a lot of good backstraps go to, I guess go to go to the fryer because of that. They just don't know. People just don't have the, either that or wrapped up in bacon, wrap everything no, no. in bacon <laughs> just to try to mask the flavor. Don't get me started with poppers. <laughs> I get made fun of by a lot of the guys in the industry because I have yet to ever make a popper and I think I will never make a popper. Yeah. <laughs> not, not for the fact that I think they're bad, but 
there's so many beautiful things you can do with wild game is to disguise it in bacon. And here's the deal. When you're making poppers, you're overcooking all the meat mm-hmm. because you have to cook bacon. And so then you're eating shoe leather wrapped in bacon, jalapeno, and cream cheese. And people are like, well, that's just how I've always eaten it. It's like, great, eat it, eat it that way. But you're taking the most beautiful cuts of backstrap and sirloins off the back ham, and you're making jerky or you're frying it. And again, if that's what your family likes, you do it all, do it all day long. But if that's what you're doing, because that's all you know, change it up, figure it out, you know? Yeah, absolutely. I, I'm a big proponent of always being a student. Like you said, you know, the idea of always learning, if you get to a point to where you feel like you have everything figured out, or if you get to the point where you no longer want to learn anything, you, you really, like you said, you start to start to die almost, you know, uh, in, intelligently you start to die emotionally there's a certain point that you reach that you just you aren't functioning that the, the way that we're intended to be we're intended to keep learning we're intended to always be students and that is definitely true when it comes to especially hunting and then taking care of the meat and enjoying the entire experience of the hunt so i, I think that whole always being a student idea is something that a lot of people miss and not just in hunting, but I mean, just life in general, but it's something that a lot of people miss, I think. And it's, it's great that you, you know, you kind of touched on that. Cause that's what I was thinking there. Cause there's, there's gotta be a certain element of trial and error as far as, you know, taking these, these, these different cuts of meat and trying to figure out how to cook them. And I've, I get the sense that a lot of people would probably, try it one time maybe if they if they worked up the guts to do it one time maybe try it one time and then if, if it didn't go quite the way they wanted it to then not come back to it but i'm sure there's got to be a certain element of trial and error on the when you're trying to figure out how to cook the cook these kind of cuts of meat oh yeah and 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 that's where a lot of people say like i spent so much time and effort to get this animal i don't want to screw it up so i'm not gonna i'm not gonna screw it up and i'll just stick to what i know but I think when you follow my recipes, when you follow some of these other wild game chef recipes, we've been the ones that have made the mistakes for you. And once you can learn from our mistakes and you kind of see the way that we're doing stuff, then it opens up your world to be creative. Uh, I'm not asking you to go out there and kill a coyote and figure out how to cook it by yourself. I'm asking you to go out there and kill a coyote and trust that I've worked out the methods to make a delicious meal. And once you realize that the basic elements of what it takes to clean and prepare the, that, that animal, then that opens up a whole world for you to do. I mean, I had some guy that said he now used coyotes in his hamburger helper. He goes to the store and buys a box of hamburger helper and puts coyote in that. And that's, he's a college kid and loves it because he took the time to clean it and grind it. And now he's like, he uses it as his grind in hamburger helper where he's not, he's not wasting his venison on his hamburger helper. Now he's using coyote. He's using bobcat he's using you know all these other cuts that he used to not utilize for a quick and easy dinner rather than a beautiful steak or you know a stuffed backstrap whatever he's doing he's utilizing that so said and said trash meat as filler meat because he understood the method behind it if somebody is interested in you know learning how to do these types of things what kind of resources do you offer and what kind of resources do you recommend for somebody that's wanting to learn how to handle these different types of meats? I think right now there's really no one out there that's throwing that stuff out there. 
I'm creating a whole new YouTube series this next year uh, called Dirty for Dinner. And in there, it's going to be a lot of how-tos on questions that people have asked me in the past. And one of them is going to be Predator, how to take, how to, how to properly dress and clean coyote and bobcat and what to look for in diseases and that kind of stuff, um, as well as how to utilize these better cuts and meals and recipe planning. And It's really going to be an in-depth YouTube. That's the, kind of the one area that I've been lacking in. And I've been getting a lot of people that are like, can you please just put out videos? Um, so I've worked through it. i got a buddy who's going to film it all. He's an amazing film, filmographer. And I think it's all going to come down to just people asking him. I've got a 100% success rate or response rate on social media. So just reach out. I'm always there to answer a question. I'm always there to give insight and, and input and emails. And I know I'm a super busy guy, but I always find time to, to check up and to talk. Yeah, that's that's awesome. You said it was uh, dirty for dinner. You said and that's on YouTube. Yeah, that's what I'll be starting here in the fall. Okay, I got you. I'll, I'll put the is a, is a link available right now because I, I can go no. ahead and put that into the show notes. Okay. I just got the name, so uh, actually all locked down. It was being used by some organic pig farmer. Okay. That hasn't used YouTube in like seven years, and so I fought for it. And they sent him a bunch of emails and they responded, so I finally got it. Um, so it, it'll be up here. We've got like four episodes in the bag right now that we're going to be putting out here in, in August, early September. And from there, we're going to start going on people, people asking questions and we're going to put videos out on their questions and their answers. So we're trying to keep them simple, stupid and easy. And in the middle of there, I've got a bunch of really cool guests that we're going to go and hunt and fish alongside them and tell their story through food and, Really not focus so much on the kill, but focus on the after. So man, we're, gonna be, we're gonna be. I've got some professional hockey players lined up. We've got I mean, NASCAR racers lined up. P- people that you would you would not even know hunted mm-hmm. that hunt are scared to talk about hunting because of where they are in their life. And so we're gonna go in there and say, hey, let's talk about food and hunting is just part of it. Yeah, that's um, great. That's awesome. So, I'm I'm definitely gonna have to check that out. Me personally, and then I'll be sure to share that around on on my pages and that kind of thing. That's, that sounds like it's going to be awesome thing you've got scheduled here. And you said that's going to be available this fall. Yep. That's, that is the goal as of right now. So awesome. Okay. That's great. And you've also got, uh, these from field to plate courses that you teach also, right? Yes, sir. Yeah. So where are those done? Uh, those are done right now in South Texas. I'm working on trying to get them in a couple different States. The problem is that, the states are it's being difficult but i know for we're, we're trying to do like a bird class in nebraska this year or next year we're trying to do some classes in california but the main thing for these classes is to get people excited again in that range i was talking about that 40 to 20 year old range mm-hmm. or even older 50s to get those people excited who have never hunted or have hunted but don't know what really what they're doing to get out and learn the basics and learn how to do stuff so i take from the moment you get off the plane, you come to the ranch, and we have a weapons training class. We have a weapons training class, which is if you're a rifle hunter, you learn how to hunt and shoot a rifle. If you're a bow hunter, we've got you know people that are versed in archery, and they'll sit there and work on your mechanics for archery. Then you go out and you hunt a, a doe. So we're not about trophies. It's all about meat. So you go hunt a big, mature doe because you're getting the same amount of meat off some of these coal bucks. And it never comes back from hunting and you learn how to skin, how to gut, how to butcher. 
over the next couple days. And then every night you're learning how to do a different recipe. So <clears throat> recipes are based on the classes. So what I do is people that sign up for the class, I send them an email. Hey, what are some recipes that you want to learn? And then we make recipes based on what they want to learn and how to cook it, and how to prepare it. And we all sit down, we all have a big dinner together every night around fire or around a lot of people have a bottle of wine or whiskey. And yeah, that goes, they're four day courses and it's big game. I think we're gonna try to do one waterfowl class this year also, where you're gonna come in and learn how to basics of calling, basics of dog handling, basics of decoy spread, uh, field hunting, water hunting, proper gun maintenance on and off the field. With shotguns, you'll learn how to shoot shotguns and skeet. And then you'll also be able to learn the different techniques of how to clean it, wild get or wild ducks. So you'll, whatever you shoot, you learn how to pluck them, skin them, or breast them, depending on whatever you feel comfortable with. And then learning how to cook proper duck recipes and take home meat to your family after all of them. So, so you really are covering all of the bases. I mean, for you, when you say from field to plate, you are literally going from field to plate. You're you're kind of covering. It's it's an all inclusive class that you're really covering here because you you even mentioned you know how to handle a dog and that kind of thing when it comes to waterfowl that's that's pretty extensive that's pretty awesome that you've got all those things you've thought that far ahead as far as you know wanting to provide the best product for for the students that are signing up for your class yeah and even for like the waterfowl they're gonna have to set up their own ground blind yeah on the water's edge and understand the depth of a blind and for a deer they understand we sit there and they have to watch deer for an hour before they can shoot a deer mm -hmm. so i wanted to learn the mechanics of a deer and how a deer works and we go through anatomy school where i've got a deer and we go through the anatomy of a deer we got a dead deer that we show them all the mechanics of how to shoot a deer properly i mean we had i've had 98 people go through the classes so far between antelope and deer and out of those 98 people i think there's only been three that are not hard shots so when you take the time to teach someone the mechanics of a gun and proper shot placement, I mean, we only had one wounded animal that we that we found, finally tracked down and found out of those ninety eight people. You, that, that's not that, that's even a better rate than an average hunter. Yeah, definitely. And so it's all about men. There's been times where I have people in the blind and their buck fever is so big that I reach over, turn the safety on, take the gun out of their hands, and say, "You're not shooting a deer today until you can learn to calm yourself down and you can really, you know, I." One guy, he got so buck fever that he didn't even shoot a deer the whole time. But he's, I went, we shot a deer for him. He just couldn't bring himself to it, you know. Yeah. And then he went home and he shot his first deer on his, you know, with his family because he had learned all the mechanics of how to calm himself down. But we still had a deer for him to practice on, and he learned how to gut, skin, butcher. He took home that whole deer. Um, he just couldn't bring himself to shoot a deer while he was at camp. So. It's very respectful. It's very mindful to the average hunter. I've had people that have never touched a firearm before in their life shoot a deer and harvest a deer. Um, I've had people who have been hunting since they were 12 come out and go, man, I've learned so much uh, just in the butchering and hunting aspect of it together. So it literally covers from the person that just to say, I'm really interested in this to someone that's like, I've been hunting forever. I just want to know more. Uh, we're going to gear that towards you. I'm going to put you with a guide who is geared towards you. If you're a big hunter and you just want to sit with talk, talk with someone and learn the process of butchering and skinning, I'm going to put you with a guy who's just going to go out there and help you shoot better. If you're a rookie who's never touched it, I'm going to sit in blind with you personally and walk you through shooting that deer. You know, it's fun. And the classes should be up here in the next two weeks on from field to under the store. You can click it and buy it. They're $2,700. 
that includes everything from the moment you get off the plane to the moment you leave. Um, so things aren't, that aren't included are airfare and your, your license. Everything else from ammo and weapons uh, are included unless you want to bring your own ammo, your own gun. Like say you want to learn on your dad's old wind mag, bring your wind mag. But otherwise we've got bow equipment, we've got guns, we've got ammo supplied for everybody. Includes lodging, all your meals, all your butchering classes, all your hunting. It includes your deer fee. It includes uh, transportation to and from the airport. It includes um, all the vacuum sealing of all your animals that you personally get to get, get, get to do and learn, uh, as well as some swag from different companies that give stuff. But for that price, you you can't really beat it. People say I need to charge more, but that's literally like the minimum of what it costs. I'm I'm really not making any money off of it just because I want people to learn. Uh, but between the ranch fees and food is where most of the money goes. So. Yeah, that's pretty incredible. It's you're able to offer something like that, and that's. That's really neat. I'm definitely going to be sure to put that link to that in the show notes for sure. And that way people can access it straight from the show notes there. They're on the uh, podcast page. And I keep it small. I mean, I only have four to five people per class because it needs to be hands-on. It needs to be small. It needs to be intimate. Yeah, you got that intimate element that you throw in there with that. And last year they filled up in the first week. So I think the first two classes filled up the first day I opened it. And then the middle class... Uh, which usually during the week took a little while, but yeah, every class filled up within the first week and a half, two weeks. Yeah, that's, that's pretty awesome. There, uh, as we're winding down here, there were actually two questions I wanted to ask you. The first one, before I get to my closing question that I always ask my guests, first one is, what is your favorite dish to cook and why, why that dish? That's like telling me to pick my favorite kid. Uh, <laughs> I have one. Just don't tell the other daughter. Um, <laughs> gosh, I think my favorite... I can ask this all the time, and every time I, I pick a new new dish because it is my favorite for that time. Uh, but I think just simple, simple boned-in backstrap with – I have a simple marinade called my Super Juice. That's what people started calling it, so that's what I call it now. But marinated that and then a hot cast iron skillet cooked medium rare with some Brussels sprouts and green beans. Just there's something about just beautifully cooked, seared, medium rare venison. If I had to make a dish for a friend that was coming over for their last meal, that's what I would make. It's oh, just yeah. a beautiful bone-in venison rack. Just sliced medium rare. Just simple, beautiful, elegant flavors that literally your your five-year-old can make and make it delicious. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's really simple. Pretty much all it is is back straps with half the rib bone attached to it okay. and a quarter of the vertebrae. How does somebody um, get the keep the bone in? I mean, is it, do you just use a saw or does it just slide out with cartilage or – uh, no, I, you could, uh, some guys use saws, some guys use knives. I like to use rose pruners. I've got videos and stuff on how to do that okay. up on Instagram that people can check out, but it's super, super simple, super easy. And once you do it, it changes everyone's mind. And that's all, that's the only way they ever eat backstrap now. Like I said, it's really funny. I got made fun of for starting that years and years and years ago. And now it's like post plaster all over Instagram. Yeah. Like. All the professional hunters, all the professional people are like, hey, look at this. This is what we've been doing for years. I'm like, no, you haven't. Um, but it's it's fun to see a cut that is beautiful. And it, it, what it does is it really – you can make those little tomahawks, those little – they almost look like little um, pork chops or, yeah. or lamb chops when they're, they're cooked. And so, again, we're talking about introducing people to wild game. That really is a way to introduce people because it looks like food that they already know. 
They already know lamb chops. They already know bone and pork chops. They already know tomahawks. And so it really opens the door for them saying, wow, this is, this is something that I recognize. And so they're a lot more willing to try it when it looks beautiful rather than just like, hey, I fried up a steak. Try this. It, it looks elegant. It tastes beautiful. And I've had people that are like, yeah, I don't eat rare to medium rare meats. I go, just take a bite. They're like, yeah, this is delicious. Mm-hmm. So when it's done properly, it has no wild flavor, no gamey taste, no, no nothing. So. That's awesome, man. That's all. I appreciate you taking the time today. I, I do have one more question here, and this is a question that I ask all my guests that are on the show, and it, I kind of get a variety of different answers from this question, and all of them have been great so far, so I'm looking forward to seeing what you come up with here. So my question for you here as we close out is, what does hunting mean to you? What does hunting mean to me? I think hunting means to me just freedom of knowing where my food comes from um, people can talk about family and friends and and oneness with stuff and all those other things but i think for me it's just a freedom to know what's going in my family's mouth uh, it's a freedom for me to get out there and pursue my dinner to get dirty for dinner to get from field to plate all those fun things that are doing it and think hunting for me is truly that it's a freedom to just do it it's no one's telling me how to cut that piece of meat. No one's telling me how to cook that piece of meat. No one's telling me where I need to buy that cut of meat or how much I need to pay for that cut of meat. It literally boils down to me and that animal and me outsmarting my dinner. And if I can outsmart my dinner, then I'm going to eat. If I can't, then I'm going to, you know, eat a tortilla. And I think that's what it boils down to is when I go hunting, it's, it's about me and that and my dinner and which one of us is going to starve or which one of us is going to, you know, is going to fill the freezer and that's that's how i that's how i look at it and that's that's why that trophy mindset never ever comes in to play like i shot a black bear in canada last week or in uh alaska i was hunting in alaska and i shot a black bear and the camera guy looks over me and goes what what was going through your mind and i was like well, how many meatballs i can make out of it and he goes excuse me i go that's all i was thinking about really when that bear walked in i was like oh i can I can make meatloaf. I can make summer sausage. I can make, he goes, you weren't thinking of anything else. I go, no, to be honest with you, that's all I was thinking about. Like as I was taking a deep breath, I was thinking about all the beautiful meals I can make with that bear. Um, and I think that's, that's a cool thing that you can look at an animal and just see dinner. It also kind of sucks when you're walking through Disneyland and a duck flies over and you're like, huh, I what I can do with that duck. My wife's like, focus. Um, so I think, yeah, for me, it's just a freedom of, a freedom of my dinner and me. And if, freedom of what my family eats and yeah just a freedom that's great that's a that's a great answer um you've really changed you know you're really in the process of changing that idea of of trophy hunting because obviously when somebody hears trophy hunting they think of you know a variety of different things they think of big antlers they think of some kind of exotic animal or something but the trophy to you is what ends up on your plate and i definitely definitely can respect that yeah, man, the, the trophy is the, the three freezers I have downstairs that are packed full of meat that go. I, mean, I had a buddy that just came over today, earlier, you know, this afternoon, and came in. He's like, what, 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 what can I take? So whatever you want. And he grabbed, you know, elk and deer and a duck and said, thanks, man, and, like, left. Mm-hmm. Like, they're, my friends are now utilizing my garage as a grocery store. And that makes me happy because they're not wanting to go out and buy meat. But some of these people can't go out and hunt physically or ethically they can't go out and hunt in their own mind but they have nothing against coming and eating fresh organic 
shot me. So right. there's, a freedom, there's a freedom in that too, knowing that you can feed your friends and your family off of a passion and a career choice that you made. Yeah, that's great. I, I appreciate you, man. This was, this was a really good talk. I, I appreciate you taking the time. I know you had some issues with traffic there and that kind of thing, but I'm really glad we were able to get this worked out and be able to get this, get this going here. Appreciate it, man. Thanks for having me on. Yeah. So, um, where can listeners, people who are going to listen to this, where can they follow you and everything that you're doing? I mean, I don't know how active you're on Facebook or just social media. Where, where can people check you out? Yeah. Um, from field to plate. I mean, that's pretty much all of it. Uh, I just start on, on Facebook. I got a Facebook page and a private Facebook group. The Facebook group is geared towards individuals sharing wild game food. Uh, there's no trophy pictures. There's no, he said, she said, it's all just beautiful pictures of food and questions about food. Um, so you can join that group or you can follow from field to plate on Facebook from field to plate on Instagram, uh, from field to plate on Pinterest to go on there. And I've got a lot of recipes pinned on there for all you ladies listening, uh, from field plate.com. And then on Twitter, because it's apparently I won many too, too many characters. It's from field, the number two plate on Twitter. Um, but yeah, you can hit me up on any one of those platforms and we can chit chat and talk. And again, like I said, I'm off, I'm an open book and I'm going to come at you and answer any question that you have. And if I don't have the answer, I know a lot of people that might know the answer that I can, I'm all about pawning you off on someone that knows it rather than lying and saying I do. So. That's awesome. I, again, I, I appreciate you taking the time to time to talk tonight. And, uh, I'm sure over on the West coast right now, it's probably getting pretty close to time to eat dinner. Yep, I'm smelling that black bear in the crockpot right now. There you go. Well, I guess I better let you go then. Uh, But again, thank you for talking with me this evening. I I appreciate it. I think this was a really good talk. All right, man. I appreciate it. Feed feed that family, man. Talk to you later. Thanks, sir.